and that we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here with another Sensory Matters show and I'm thrilled to have back on as a guest again, Chris Bonello. Hi Chris. Hello, thanks for having me back. You're very welcome. Um, and the reason why we've got Chris back is there's um, a good few things that have happened since we last spoke. Last time we spoke, your do- your um, book, Underdogs, um, was just coming out. Yep. Um, and now you've got another one. Yep. Uh, yeah, they see, uh, seems like it's so much that people demanded a sequel and well now they're going to get one brilliant so it's called underdogs tooth and nail and it's ready for pre-order now yep that's it um where can people pre-order it okay if you go to unbound.com uh, and search for underdogs or underdogs tooth and nail make sure that you're going to the sequels page rather than the original books page or you can go to Underdogs on, on Facebook. I think it's facebook.com slash underdogs novel, as there's links to there everywhere. And also chrisbonello.com for those who know how to spell Bonello, which is two N's, <laughs> two N's and two L's. Yeah. Um, it, I, I had to look that up before yep. um, speaking to you because I couldn't remember whether it was two L's or not. Um, fab. And so it will be out May next year, but you can pre-order it now so that you don't miss out, which is great. Oh, yeah. In fact, the, so, uh, uh, the publisher basically relies on pre-orders to uh, to get published. It's, whereas with most publishers, uh, you buy the book once it's come out or uh, occasionally you get to pre-order. Unbound funds the books it publishes through the people who uh, pre-order it. So, yeah, pre-ordering is uh, the best option. In fact, you can get your name or a loved one's name printed in the book as a supporter if you do pre-order, which is a really nice way of doing oh. it. Well, that makes a brilliant Christmas gift, doesn't it? That would be really lovely. Well, Christmas 2020, um, to be fair. But... <laughs> yeah, it's or true. a Christmas present that to anyone true. who doesn't mind re- uh, receiving the, the physical present in May. Yes, absolutely. But if they're like me, I like to do my Christmas shopping around about May for the following, for, for that Christmas. Oh, that, so, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, because otherwise you end up skint if you try and do it all in December. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, so I always try. Most of my birthdays are in the autumn, so it's a very expensive time of year for us. Yeah, absolutely. Why do they do that? Can they not plan to spread them out a bit? I know, more? it's very inconsiderate for all of us to be born in September, October, November. I know, I know. Not, not good at all. Um, so obviously, Underdog's Tooth and Nail has come about because the original underdog was so successful yeah um i i'd planned for the underdog series to be a series pretty much right, uh, right from the start but uh it's really the publisher who decides whether it becomes a series and uh, they they make the decision based on sale, uh, sales obviously and i met the publisher face to face uh some point earlier this year and I'd had this conversation planned in my head because uh, this is what you do when uh, uh, when you've got a bit of speech delay. You, uh, you plan your sentences in advance. And I I came to him wanting to ask, 
what would need to happen in order for a sequel to be discussed? Rather than, well, you published a sequel, which kind of puts them on the spot, what would first need to happen? And so after all that planning, I went down, asked him the question, and he just said, oh, yeah, it's fine, just send it over. Uh, wait, what? Yeah. The first one's not even out yet. Oh, yeah, but so we know you can write. We know, we know that uh, there's a demand for it, and we, we know you're a decent guy to work with. So, yeah, we've got... Uh, no problems. Just send us over the sequel, and we'll start. Uh, we'll start the crowdfunding campaign as soon as the first one comes out. And got to, got to admit, wow. the first thing I did after setting my nerves and driving home was starting work on Underdogs Three, because one, one, one no year way. on, they could be asking me for that. <laughs> wow, that's super organised. And um, so, for people that haven't list, listened to your earlier podcast, give them a bit of a. A, th- a oh, flavor of yes. what yeah we haven't actually talked about what the book is actually about yet <laughs> um yeah might be a good, good idea to at least put a bit of um information about in the description of the podcast because i've completely forgot to mention anything about what the book's about but <laughs> anyway um yeah the underdog series is a near future uh, dystopia novel series where the heroes are teenagers who escaped an attack on their special school so the whole of Britain's been imprisoned in these giant walled citadels and only 12 people remain free in the abandoned British countryside trying to free everyone else. So you've got autistic heroes, dyslexic heroes, you've got heroes of ADHD or anxiety or Down syndrome and so on. And they are the ones who are trying to free the rest of the population, despite them having been brought up to believe, well, you're not the ones who like really matter. You're, you're just the special kids. You're, you're the ones who are in, in this special school away from the rest of society. They're now the ones fighting to free those who put them at the bottom of the social food chain. And one thing I'm uh, trying to uh, make sure that, uh, that the book was really about it. It's not about overcoming autism or overcoming dyslexia. It's it's using the strengths that are inherent in autism and dyslexia and so on, using the strengths that they already have rather than it becoming some kind of um, overcoming tale. Because yeah. the, uh, these yeah. uh, young people have enormous strengths but have been pretty much brainwashed throughout their their formative years to believe that they should define themselves by their weaknesses before defining themselves by their strengths. And this is a novel series, of a rather action-packed, uh, like, high stakes novel series where they actually learn that well yeah you better le- uh, learn how to play two strengths because a you deserve it and b the british population kind of depends on it yeah um and and so where does are you allowed to say where book two um, takes you or how much can you say well I'm probably allowed to say whatever I want, but it will be a bit inconsiderate to give sports for the second one for those who have not yet re- uh, read the first. But, yeah, I don't, I don't want what totally happens, but just like, you know, what's, what's okay, the scene, so, if you like. Whereas the first Underdogs no- uh, novel starts off with that uh, the Underdogs c- uh, come across this mysterious new, uh, new character out in the countryside who clearly has some kind of backstory, but is rather unwilling to reveal what it's about, but she knows how to uh, uh, destroy the uh, the clone soldier factory that uh, the antagonists are using to build up their army of clone soldiers. And the book is about them trying to destroy this clone factory and uh, it not quite going to plan and them trying to pick up the pieces and, and so on. But uh, the second one raises the stakes even more in two different ways. First off, whereas in the first novel, if they've if they fail in their mission, then they've missed an opportunity. In the second novel, if they fail their mission, they have lost the war. I mean, it's, the stakes 
basically right. could not be higher. But the second way it raises the stakes is that uh, the battle is much more personal towards the uh, the, uh, the underdogs. Uh, the antagonists who are very aware of uh, who they're up against, that, yeah, it may be a bunch of um, special needs kids out in the countryside and they may have a, a very patronising attitude towards them, but they also know how to make them feel weak. So without offering much in the way of spoilers, they they go after some uh, something and host a lot of their operations uh, in a place that really personally affects the... Uh, uh, affects the underdogs so yeah raising right. stakes in two different ways both personally right. and in terms of what is actually at stake and that's about right. as much detail as i can go into okay no that's fine that gives gives a, a flavor definitely so what where where in earth in your brain did this idea come from where did the inspiration for the whole thing well, come from funnily enough i started writing uh, this story in 2010 as a coping mechanism for being unemployed I mean, I'd qualified as a primary school teacher, but I was terrible at job interviews. So I spent most of my days just <clears throat> uh, walking down to the pub at lunchtime for uh, for pub lunch, just to get myself out of the house. And I was writing this really ridiculous story about, uh, I was trying to write a story about just about the most mathematically unwinnable war possible. And uh, uh, it, it was never going to get published mm-hmm. or anything. That, that wasn't the point. It was just something for, uh, for me because I loved being creative. Then few years later worked in a special school and then realized wait hold on you know what's really missing in the literature scene actual meaningful representation of autism dyslexia and, and so on so i uh i completely rewrote it uh, to make it a lot more uh, more character based and after that it became my uh my dissertation for my uh master's degree in creative writing and not long after that a publisher picked it up and thought yeah you know what let's do this and yeah it's sold uh, um i don't know yeah. amazon aren't really good at releasing the amount they sold but i estimate it's around two thousand copies so far it's not bad that's is it amazing. for a first that's time so uh, novel that's about a um uh, a subject that's some would say it's, you know, say it's a bit niche so, uh, some people might be a bit reluctant to pick it up if you don't know much about special needs but i've, I've tried to make it accessible yeah. for for basically yeah. everyone to accommodate both the, uh, those who are like experts or have personal experience in the special needs community or those who have no idea what autism or pda or uh, down syndrome or any idea about how they impact people and why it's like with, uh, living with uh, the conditions that so many of my students do yeah, and what, what kind of age group read your book, um, or is it the, totally When varied? people say what age is it suitable for, I say 12 plus. But it's it's got this kind of Hunger Games-ish cross-age range appeal where uh, it's maybe technically written for teenage, or, or at least marketed as a young adult book. But I'd say a, a slim majority of its readers are adults. Yeah. Okay. And did you have any experience writing a book before you started heading oh, yeah. down to the pub and um, putting pen to the paper? I grew up writing Sonic the Hedgehog fan fiction for my younger cousin, who was as much as a, as much of a Sonic the Hedgehog fan as I was. And uh, that's and yeah, look, looking back, they weren't the best quality action stories, but they were so much fun to write. And that they also helped develop the relationship between myself and my cousin as we grew up. It was it was just really nice. And then uh, as I became an adult, I started to write stories with my own characters and more original plot lines and 
Yeah, there, uh, there was always this like pie in the sky dream of, oh, maybe one day I'll be, uh, become an author. Uh, I probably won't have time because I also want to be a teacher. But well, in the end, I, um, I got the realistic job of being a teacher. And then I left teaching and ended up getting the pie in the sky dream job as an author. <laughs> because I still have the, uh, this, um, yeah. I still have a hand in educate, well, a bit more than one hand in education. I'm, I'm a special needs tutor and work in a uh, uh, autism specific independent school. And yeah, it's a, quite a nice balance, really, spending half my life uh, working in education, the other half um, writing, both for autism, not weird, and being a novelist. Still can't believe I get to call myself a novelist. Yeah. It's weird, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's it's absolutely awesome. But you also do an oh, awful yes. lot of touring and yeah, talking, I was in don't you? Birmingham two days ago. I was in yeah. uh, Surrey the week before that. A couple of weeks from now, I'll be uh, leading a conference in Leeds, and uh, yeah, I've uh, talked as far away as India and Sydney Opera House, which actually happened. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, you you're just you're just like an example of just what's the right word? Well, yeah, following you. your dreams and and making good stuff happen. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's really really inspirational. And do you try like in in the book? Because the one thing that jumped into my head there when you were talking about the original underdogs was. So you've got these people that have yeah. been kind of cast down by society as being, you know, you know, not not really very valuable to society, and they end up yes. being people that could save everybody. Uh, if you'd been treated that way, would people want to save um, that's, people? Yeah, it, it's a bit of a dilemma in the heads of the underdogs. Like, um, well, what have they ever done for us? Why should we uh, save the, uh, these people back? And uh, I think the underlying uh, feeling yeah. is, well, because it's the right thing to do anyway there's also the practical issue of um, uh, what are the antagonists going to do to other countries outside of britain if they just let him be, uh, be this uh, this dictator but uh, also as tempting as it is to turn your back on those who turned their back on you it's they uh, they, they still have this moral uh, sense of but this sense of moral purpose that allows them to not sink to the level that they believe their uh, their neurotypical equivalents were when they were at the bottom of this social food chain. Oh, and a bunch of them also yeah, have families no, trapped inside the fun. citadels as well, for what it's worth. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah so that's that's one, one of the main character, uh, um, characters. Her, her name's Kate. She's, uh, she's autistic, but her main issue is anxiety. Uh, on top, on top of her autism's, uh, she has a, a profoundly disabled uh, brother uh, called James, who was captured on takeover day, and she's not seen him since. She doesn't know whether whether he's safe or whether he's even alive or what uh, what's become of him. But uh, he is her main drive for continuing on uh, on with the war. She she would even argue that that's the reason that she's lived so long, whereas so many other underdogs have died before her, because that the story begins. 11 months after takeover day. So plenty of underdogs have gone into battle and died before the story begins. But Kate thinks that the reason she's lived so long is because she cannot die without knowing what has happened to her brother, whether he's safe and the rest of it. So, so yeah, they've got varying motivations for, uh, for yeah. fighting this war. The one thing that kind of unites them is that they think, yeah, we've been treated like crap, but stuff it. We're going to do the right thing anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I wish more people were like that. Um, 
Yeah, right. I want to delve into some of the characters a bit more, but before we do, we're just going to take a quick break. Back in a minute. If you don't already follow us on Facebook, then head over to Facebook forward slash Chewy Gem because throughout Advent, we are giving away one product each day. That's right, one product every single day for Advent. So go on, pop over to Chewy Gem Facebook and start entering. Now back to the podcast. Right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, So we were chatting before about going a bit more in depth into the original underdogs and getting quite excited about the sequel. Um, But one of the things that I think when you talk about, you were just talking there about Kate, this character, and she sounds so real. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I always find it fascinating with authors that how much depth you know about the people that you're writing about. Is that something that you kind of have to do? Do you have to do like a full character profile? Are they based on people you kind of know or snippets of people Uh, that you've met in your life? And how develop that character to become because in your head mm. it feels like she oh, feels that, really real there's a lot of questions i'll try, I'll try and yeah. answer one. No, no it's fine there's, there's yeah, so sorry. much to talk about on, uh, on this subject um first yeah. off uh, kate and the others they aren't yeah. based on real people i know because well i know what happens to the underdogs i know how much suffering they go through and i, I just wouldn't feel comfortable inflicting that upon people who subconsciously i see as actual people who i know they are, they are kind of inspired by various yeah. p- uh, people uh, who are known. Like there's one character called Jack who's diagnosed as Asperger's Syndrome. He's a notorious geek and understands uh, computers better than people. And uh, yeah, um, he is not entirely but, uh, based on uh, on me, but completely by accident, he's picked up a lot of my traits. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they end up evolving as the drafts and the redrafts keep going. Like the uh, the Kate in the original um, underdogs or gorillas as it was called at the time we we changed the title because underdogs is so much, so much more of a better title but the characters in the early yeah. installments or well, the early versions of what became underdogs are pretty much unrecognizable from who they are now because well they grow they develop they evolve like people in general do but certainly like fictional pe- uh, people do uh what else were you asking yeah well, I suppose do you like if if you take Kate or Jack, then have you got almost like their entire life in your head, even though you're not right about their entire life, but you kind of know everything major that's happened that is influencing kind of, sort who of they've ish. become. And- I know the, I know the important events that have okay. helped to shape the characters who have, they've become, but I've have not pinned down every single life event because well, they're still evolving. They'll still be other bits for even me to discover about about these characters for example um jack uh has a uh, has a history of um well, suicide attempts and one of the short stories i uh, wrote yeah I've, I've started a series of short stories called tales of the underdogs which is each character uh, gets their own short story about an important event in their life and uh jack's sto- uh, story is uh the day when he ha- has to talk to his dad about his first suicide attempt after they've just got back from the hospital. And it's a, it was a really challenging story to write and it was painful to write it. But honestly, I, I was very pleased with it. And it has a much more upbeat ending than I thought it would. But yeah, uh, Jack's story and Ewan's story, Ewan being the main mm-hmm. character, they're, uh, they're available 
on Unbound as a thank you to anyone who's pre-ordered the sequel. Everyone who's pre-ordered the sequel gets access to these two short stories. But anyway, I can't digress a bit there. But okay. um, yeah, the important events in these characters' lives are kind of um, other ones I have pinned down in my head. In fact, I've got a copy of it here. Do you mind if I read an excerpt from from the original? Because this goes into yeah. a... here we go. Yeah. Uh, here we go. So this is about Kate, who seems seems to be. Well, she's one of my favourite characters. I think we. Yeah, we uh, we held a vote on who is your favourite character among Underdog's Facebook page, and uh, Kate came out as the clear winner. And I, I can see why, uh, really. Mm-hmm. Her backstory is, uh, like I said, based largely around anxiety on top of autism. But, um, so the context behind this is uh, Chapter 5. They're just about to enter some kind of uh, potentially dangerous situation, and Kate immediately volunteers to be the person who leads. Her reasons behind it are that that's how she fights against her anxiety. If she is afraid of something, she feels this compulsion that she must do it. But here's the excerpt. I'll lead the way, Kate said without hesitation. Go for it, said Ewan. There was a lot to be said for defiance. Kate had grown up believing it was unhealthy, but like most attitudes, there was a place for it. The staff at her last mainstream school had been the opposite of Oakenfold, Oakenfold being the special school they go to. They did not appreciate her. They did not understand her, and they had not believed her. In the end, she didn't enter special ed because of her autism. She was just bullied out of mainstream by both students and staff. The most important moment of her life had been a panic attack. Sometime during the eight-month wait for a new school uh, school placement, she had seen the old school bus out of her bedroom window, and then bang, her mind was gone. Later that afternoon, from underneath the covers of her overused bed, she had come to realise how much she hated her anxiety. Her anxiety, and not herself. It had been the moment she had decided to stop hating the person she truly was, rather than the tiny part of her which often took over the rest of her personality. From that day, from that day on, she had confronted her fears wherever she found them. The anxiety remained, but its grip wasn't quite as tight. Thanks to her defiance in the face of mental health problems, it had been less difficult to start a token fold. But even without the improvements to her life, she would have done it just for the satisfaction of kicking her anxiety in the balls. And, uh, yeah... There's not much in the way of crude language there, Love but uh, honestly, as someone who experiences anxiety myself, occasionally you do need to just kick your anxiety in the balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's really interesting because my, my my daughter has anxiety and <clears throat> she's going through a rough time with that at the moment. And I, I went to a talk at the school the other night with uh, an expert who was talking about anxiety and how to handle it. And one of the things that she said, which I thought was really interesting, is that if you imagine a, a, a graph curve, you know, a normal one that kind yep. of goes up in the middle and then back down the other side, that if you enter an event, then your anxiety kind of goes up and up and up and up. And quite often as parents, the, well, the child or, or whoever might say, you know, I don't want to do this. And then the parent scoops in, Mm. and takes them away from that situation and so they never learn to kick mm. it in the balls and to deal with it because they don't ever come out the other side and realize that the anxiety wasn't warranted a lot of the time a lot of the time what everyone worries about and is anxious about doesn't turn out to be as mm. bad as we imagine it um so one of the things I've taken away from mm. that is not to swoop in as yeah. as quickly really difficult um, Really um, difficult. I can, you you want to oh, protect God. people, but also you, we do need to uh, recognise that 
if people are exposed to the things that make them nervous, with the appropriate sport, of course, don't just throw them in the deep end without any assistance because that, that could be literally traumatizing, but throw them in the deep end with the reassurances. If you need yeah. the assistance, it is here, but try to do yeah. this by yourself. Then that could be enormously character building. One of the first things I learned on my uh, primary teaching course was the phrase, move out of your comfort zone and your comfort zone will follow. Of course, it's a bit more complicated when mental health issues come into it. Move out your comfort zone with the potential support if you need it, and your comfort zone will follow. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the, the you, you'd said um, when you were writing the short story about Jack that it had a kind of more upbeat yes. ending than you expected. So... When you write, Um, do you not know what's going to happen? Generally speaking, I do. I mean, George R. R. Martin, the author of the Game of Thrones series, uh, he says that some writers are architects Mm. and some writers are gardeners. Architects are ones that need to plan absolutely every detail in the story, and gardeners are ones who just write a story and kind of just see where it goes. And uh, whatever works for the author works for the author. I mean, George R. R. Martin is clearly a gardener. That's why his world is so expansive. And well, how on earth are we going to end all these thousand different plot threads? I yeah. used to be an extreme yeah. architect, which poss- uh, possibly an, uh, an autumn trait where I needed everything perfectly ordered and things like that. But uh, these days, uh, I'm open to uh, I'm open to changing and editing the story while I'm writing it. I'm trying to remember. I think the original uh, ending for right. uh, for, uh, for Jack's story was, uh, was going to be he was going to get withdrawn from mainstream education, and his dad was going to start looking for special uh, specialist provision. But uh, the way I actually ended it was pretty much the same, except Jack decides, well, you know, I nearly died uh, died last night, so I've really not got much to lose. So he he just decides to put his foot uh, foot down and say. I will never go to that school again. I'm going. He's really defiant about it to, to the point where his dad knows that. Well, Jack, uh, Jack's already won, so uh, so yeah. it, it's it's Jack so, uh, suddenly yeah. becoming the strong per, uh, person, and uh, again, it's using defiance as a weapon, using defiance in a really healthy way, and then he gets what uh, uh, what he needs. Yeah. His dad says, "Yes, okay, well, uh, we'll look for alternative provision." And then Jack uh, goes uh, goes upstairs and he starts smiling because he realises that, well, yeah, things have not exactly been good this week, particularly over the last 24 hours, but there's at least some level of hope now. And also, I know I'm capable of standing up for myself. Yeah, he's totally taken charge of the situation yeah, instead of like having in, in someone decide for brain. him. Well, uh, if I really stand up for myself, if I really uh, be defiant about this, then, well, what's the worst that can happen? Because it's probably not as bad as literal death. Mm-hmm. So so that's the way that Jack thinks about things and processes things. So uh, that's why he makes the decision he makes. And it's, uh, yeah, it works for him. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And for you, when you, when you, do you, are you quite disciplined in your writing? Like you have set times when you do it, or is it more that something sweeps into your head and you've got um, it down, got to get it down on paper? Tricky question. I basically, I basically write mm. or am capable of writing whenever I just have my laptop with me. I'm, I'm not like some author, like again, George R. R. Martin, who needs to be in a specific room with 
this specific computer and that's the only place he can do his writing and a bunch of writers are like that but thing is i end up daydreaming about underdogs or plotting about underdogs to make it sound a bit more sinister just wherever i uh, am so if can come up with ideas wherever i am why shouldn't i just write them wherever i am if i'm like on a train for example and i and i'm writing the story and it turns out to be a complete load of crap then well fair enough because first drafts are supposed to be crap uh, the, the uh, i can't remember mm-hmm. which author said it but, uh, but the real story comes out in the edits in fact i uh, i teach creative writing at the, uh, yeah. this uh, this uh, autumn specific uh, school that I work at and uh, i don't quite say your first draft is going to be crap well none of those words uh, anyway but i reassure them that uh, that don't expect that you're going to get it right the f- uh, first time it will end up evolving into in something uh, into the best that you can make it. So armed with that knowledge, I don't think I care where I write it because I don't think where I write it is going to produce its final draft anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the, the bit I would find difficult with writing a novel is that um, there's a, probably like everyone in the planet, yeah. I've, I've got book ideas and I've occasionally attempted it yeah. and then I've got like stuck and given up. And, and it's mainly because I, I kind of, I might know the beginning and I might know the end and I might know a bit three quarters of the way through and I don't know the bits in between. So if I write the bit three quarters of the way through, then it feels all out of sync and then I don't Mm, have to think it. I used to do that. that. When I was writing those Sonic the Hedgehog stories, um, my way of making myself finish was uh, I used to very autistically order the chapters, like give each chapter a number in reverse order of how exciting it was. I would then, uh, it would be like this this countdown, like I'm going to write the 12th best chapter, then the 11th best chapter, then the 10th best chapter, and so on. So that made sure that I got through what I perceived to be the more boring chapters first. And the further along I got, the more motivated I felt to, uh, because I was getting closer and closer to the chapters I really, really wanted to write. These these days are just, yeah, these days oh, I don't do it anymore. I write, I write it in, <clears throat> in chronological order, but these days I... I think I do just have the discipline to just write the story in order. And so, uh, if you, I find if you write it in order, then you, you don't end up have, having to change the thing that you wrote three quarters of the, uh, the way through. You, you don't have to rewrite anything. But uh, whatever works that, for the author works for the author, in my experience. And yeah. uh, in my case, I've changed my writing yeah. style, my writing techniques as I've got older. Yeah, and oh, it yeah, probably absolutely. will continue Might to evolve and change. Because for me, yeah, for me, writing it chronologically oh, yeah. seems to make much more sense. Um, yes. But only if you know the chronological yeah, order and you maybe don't I know I have where it's two good. documents so for what... each story that I write. One where the actual story is and one which is a very specific planning document. It's, it's like a table of, the, well, the columns are something like chapter number, point of view character, what happens how the chapter ends, and then other things at the end, like what uh, what the reader is supposed to find out, and uh, also a little column at the end, what reason does the reader have to keep reading? Because that, yeah, I was uh, mm-hmm. teaching writing yeah. story openings with, uh, with my class a couple of days ago, and uh, we were discussing what are you supposed to do in the opening of a book, and you can introduce your characters, you can introduce the plot, you can introduce the world that your book takes place in, but ultimately, the the whole point of an opening chapter is to convince the reader to read chapter two. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah go, so it uh, go, do uh, going back to the, um, really uh, I can't fi uh, finish my uh, novel points. Uh, just while we're uh, on the topic, do you want to know one of the most influential bits of advice I've ever heard? Okay. Uh, uh, it was a quote from uh, from yes, someone please. who's, I wish I knew who this person was, but they said, do you know what William Shakespeare, Agatha Christie, J.K. Rowling, Charles Dickens, and all successful authors in history all have in common? They all finished their book. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's mm. true. That is so true because, yeah, there's so many people out there. I think everybody's got a book in them. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just yeah. having and that also discipline the, uh, to do it. The confidence it? as well because if, if you try writing something and it just doesn't quite work out, it's very tempting to think, well, okay, I'm not a particularly good writer, so I'm just going to do something else. And, well, no one's a really good writer when they start. No one's born a good writer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be a geeky mathematician, no. but well, I can write a good story, apparently, so I'm told. It's just something you learn how to do. Yes. Uh, one bit of blunt advice they give, very similar to what I've already said, that, uh, but, yeah, finish your story, but make peace of the fact that it's going to be crap. The first draft is going to be crap. Yeah. We're reworking it to keep evolving it yeah. until eventually you'll get something that you're really pleased with for about three weeks and then you'll realize that it's crap again and then you rework you rework it until eventually you are somewhat happy with it yeah is there like a i mean for you and your experience of doing these two books and these short stories is there like an average time it takes to get so, to no. finishing it is. or it's like uh, when people ask how no. long should a story be well it should it should be as long as it needs to be not shorter not longer and how long should a story take well that Okay, well, these days we've got publishing deadlines to work to, but uh, but outside of those, um, I think if you if you set set yourself a deadline like I will fi uh, finish this book on thirty first of August, then yeah, it's good to set yourself targets, but it shouldn't be at the cost of the quality of the story. Yeah, because that might put you under pressure just to get something right. out, just to get it out, rather than really taking time. Yeah. And have you have you ever experienced the, oh, yeah, the so-called writer's block? Rather interestingly, block? though, my very first, uh, yes, yeah, my very first lecture when I did master in creative writing was led by a lecturer who said, "I don't believe that writer's block mm -hmm. exists. I believe that anyone in any circumstance can write anything." Right. And what he did was he handed out a bunch of photos at random. Like one of them might be in a, a landscape. One of them might have been someone stood next to their car uh mine was um a, a woman dressed up in some kind of um uh, uh acting gear so someone who's clearly in some kind of costume standing backstage in a corridor and we were supposed to write a story about that photo and go off we go and yeah. some of the stuff we came up with was uh, was actually really good and the point you made there was well if you can write something from a photo that you've never seen before and just make it up on the spot. Maybe writer's block doesn't really exist. I think it, in my case, if there is such a thing as writer's yeah. block, it comes in the form of, okay, I've got this plot hole here or I've got this thing, but it doesn't quite make sense. How on earth do I write my way out of this one? In, in Underdogs 3, uh, there's yeah. uh, there's an event, that have a, a very important uh, event that's... Uh, may involve a fight in the sky of helicopters and it's amazing and i absolutely love the fact that the scene exists and it's 
one of my favourite parts of the uh, series, actually. But I've, at present, obviously, this will all have changed by the time we, we rework it. But at present, I suddenly spotted a little plot hole that makes that whole fight in the sky completely unnecessary. So my writer's block right now is thinking, how do I make that scene necessary? Or what things can I remove from the story that's, that can allow this amazing scene to happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Logically, I could just remove this yeah. amazing scene and then the story would make more sense, but I don't want to. I want to make I want to make it so this amazing scene does no. make sense. But yeah, that that's where I get my uh, my writer's block. If it exists, it, it's about the planning side of it and how how can I how can I write my way out of trouble? Unfortunately, you you can't schedule how quickly yeah. you come up with ideas. And that, that's the problem that I've got with uh, uh, teaching my yeah. class how, how to write openings. I, I can read through all these uh, openings of all these novels that I love, but when I say, okay, write an opening to the story that you planned last week, they still have to go through the coming up with the ideas phase, which will usually take more than the time allocated for the lesson. Yes. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I could talk to you all day. Yeah, I know. Really we've taken 36 really minutes so far, and I'm thinking, um, oh, but, oh, can we go for two hours? I know. I know. I could, I could easily do it. I really, really could. Yeah, sure. um, but we will we will call it a halt there, and maybe we'll chat yeah, sure. again when the, the third book is coming out. Um, yeah, that would be really good, because I love it. And yeah, thank you. It's, I just love it. So interesting. Um, and like I say, you're just oh, such an inspiration in terms of... I would, lo I would love to go really back good. to the, the so version of me who walked down to the pub at lunchtime and wrote this ridiculous story and then just hold the finished book in his face and then say, oh, yeah, they accepted the sequel before this even came out. And, yeah, so, um, yeah, if you're yes. in a position where, you're, where you don't really value yourself or your talents that much, well, yeah, being there, done that, do the things that make you happy anyway. Because, you know, even if Underdogs never got published, that still would have helped me during the uh, the times where I really needed it. So, yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. And as we say, you can get the second one um, on pre-order now. Um, so go go do that. And if yeah. you've not got the first one, then go get oh, that oh, too. Oh, yeah. You, you can, you can order, sorry to you can um, order the original on Amazon or waterstones.com. And uh, also, you can pre uh, you can order both books together on the Unbound site for Underdog's Tooth and Nail. Although, if you do that, then the first book will arrive at the same time as the second, which is May of the next year. So, uh, if you're really patient, then do that. But if you just want to okay. uh, read the first one quickly, then order it off Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've got the uh, yes. Underdog's Facebook.com um, Facebook slash page. Underdog's Novel. So. Yep, and obviously mm -hmm. you've got your Autistic Not Weird page and chrisbonello.com. Yeah, so that's all the places you can find Chris and follow what he's up to, which oh, I'm sure you. you'll want to because you're pretty darn amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me yeah. on. Right, thank you very much for that's your time. It. Lovely. Cheers. 
Well, that's it for this week. And thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds, then go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps other people find our content. And we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews. So go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. Also, so that you never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available, why not hit subscribe? And that way you'll never miss us. Finally, if you're not already a member of our fantastic Facebook support group, I suggest you go join it. We'd love to see you in there. There's loads of fantastic chat, lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you. So go and search on Facebook for the Chewy Gem Sensory Support Group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes. Speak to you then. Bye.